started telling a story. It was an ex-convict, grew up in extreme poverty, talked about the ways that God brought healing and wholeness to his life. And I'm feeling like the proud person in the group was not him but me. Because I'm realizing I kind of did a quick judge over on him. And God, I, and I, I, I can remember, I could probably describe the room to you if I had to right now. Because I remember, I felt like God kind of turned the tables back on me and said, well, you're the problem here. Because I kind of, he's proud, he's proud, he's not here. But I felt like God was saying, no, this is you because you've kind of figured this guy out. And, and there's times in our lives where we have to allow the Holy Spirit to do that to us. And I, I could probably have more stories over the last 50 years. That's just one more prominent. But all of us have times where God gets our attention, and we're, we're, we're talking about those people out there having issues, and all of a sudden God's like, no, 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 no. Well, look at yourself right now. And it's uncomfortable. It's we wish Jesus didn't do that, but he does. And so we're going to look at some situations today in John chapter 8. We've been going to the, the, the gospel of John, and I just, the bottom cracks, but Jesus is challenging the status quo again. He loves to challenge the way things he loves to challenge the religious status quo, and he loves to uh, kind of mess with that. He loves to challenge with your religious status quo, because Jesus loves to challenge the spirit of religion. What I thought this guy had was an arrogance because I thought he had the spirit of religion, but really it was my spirit of religiosity that was kind of being thrown on him. And so sometimes you read the Gospels, and it's, it's really fun and enjoyable when Jesus is all for us and we can side on his team. But when, when when Jesus, when we're the one he needs to talk to, then we kind of flip those chapters up really fast. We've got to find something where it has a word love in it. You know, we don't want this kind of stuff. So uh, we're going to look at John chapter 8. And actually to start with, this is kind of an interesting exercise. I want everybody to take a stone, all right? We're not taking an offering. We're passing out buckets. There should be enough stones for everybody. Don't throw them, please. Uh, I'm saying that to the adults, not the kids. Uh, kids know better. Adults, we know. There should be nothing. Just keep passing around to you. Why everybody take a stone? Uh, not, there should be enough, but I don't know. You can pass it back to the... Um, and you're going to hold this stone in your hand again. I'm not going to throw them. Thank you. 
was back in the temple, so he walked, probably took him 25, 30 minutes to walk from Mount of Olives back to Jerusalem, going to the temple. Crowd soon, crowd soon, crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. So they're bringing her, obviously, to shame her with the real issues they're trying to trick Jesus or test him. They put her in front of the crowd, and they proclaimed loudly to Jesus this. The law of Moses says to stone her. All right, now let's think about stoning here for a second. And yes, the idea of stoning in the Old Testament is mentioned. God actually tells people time to stone people. I don't always understand it, so I don't have a simple answer for that. It seems like a, 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 a horrible way to die, but there's somehow we got to wrestle that with God's holiness and some other things like that. So let's, that's a separate conversation right now. So those kind of issues, but it's a legitimate conversation. But they're saying, accurately so, from the book of Leviticus, there's times where God says if someone, often the stoning penalties are related to significant uh, sexual kind of sins or significant idolatry, offering your child as a child sacrifice to an idol. But in this case, they say to Jesus, the law says to stone her. And again, put yourself in that situation. Some of you that I wasn't born in Old Testament times, because if the time when the people were called to stone somebody, just, just think about it. You're picking up stones. and They didn't pick up pebbles. They picked up stones. And the person was, you throw rocks at them until they're dead. Or at least until they're significantly in pain. So usually. So they're saying to Jesus, they throw this woman on the ground in front of her, probably half naked, kind of scared to death because the big wigs have caught her. They throw her in front of Jesus. The law of Moses says to stone her. Jesus, what do you say we should do? The Pharisees love to death with Jesus. Hey, should we pay tax to Caesar or not? Should we do this? Should we? The law of Moses says to stone her. What do we do? Because in their mind, they were giving Jesus a multiple choice answer that had a question that had two possible answers. A, yes. B, no. And if Jesus said yes to stone her, they'd be like, yes, we got it. He's just like us, and everybody's going to like him anymore. Now he's just, you know, he's, he, he, he will power to our law. Because the Pharisees were totally misapplying the spirit of, the, of how God had designed them. They were using it for power and control. But if Jesus says, no, we don't stone her, they can get it for violation of the law of Moses. So they give Jesus a question, which they always do, <coughs> often did, was, okay, Jesus, here's the question, multiple choice, A or B, yes or no. And Jesus was a master of always saying, the answer is C. <laughs> it's like I tell people when they think Jesus, Jesus is the answer, yes or no. He would say, blue. I mean, he would never answer their, did you notice that he never answers their questions directly because they're asking the wrong questions. And Jesus is a master of that. I mean, he's a, what's frustrating for you and me both, he's the master of that with us. God, Jesus, do I do this or this? And then he answers in a whole different realm. And he doesn't answer it the way we want it to be answered because we're in control that way, all right? But in this case, he says, um, and he gets down the ground and he starts, we don't know what he's writing, but he was writing on the sand. And so they kept pressing him. What do we do? Do we stone her or not? And Jesus says, okay, whoever of you is without, the, without sin, let him cast the first stone. Because the accuser is supposed to cast the first stone. 
website some of these guys had visited that week. You know? Maybe he was writing names of women. Maybe he was writing other issues, but it said it was interesting, it meant the oldest left first. So maybe Jesus just started with him. Why? We don't know. But he said, whoever's doing that sin, let him throw the first stone in their life well done. They knew he got them. They could never trust Jesus. And then Jesus looks at the woman, after all of them have left, and he says to the woman, um, are there anyone, anyone else here to condemn you? And she says, no, they're all gone. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and say no more. Imagine her elation at that. All right. I, I wonder if there's a whole stone comes to I'm convinced. I know I do, and I think you do. We all, we, we, we love to throw stones at sins we don't like. I mean, my wife was saying lately, one of the things that's bothered her more and more lately is how mean Christians can be, even to each other. And how we love to kind of accuse, and we don't like this sin, and we'll throw a sin at this sin, and we'll throw a sin at this political party, we'll throw a stone at this political party, we'll throw a stone at this other church or this other denomination. And the stone throwing really comes out of this sense of superiority. It's like with the Pharisees, where they, were, they felt superior, and so casting a stone at somebody to cut them down, and in that case, physically to harm and kill them. But we don't, we don't, we don't kill people. We just throw a little pesky stone at them. Because we don't like the songs they sing. We don't like the books they write. We don't like their lifestyle. And, it, and it, Jesus, notice Jesus doesn't say to this woman, go and do whatever you want to do. Your, your, your life is your business. He says, go and sin no more. Jesus still has a standard of holiness. But think about think about the people this week that, that do or say or have certain attitudes that you just kind of roll your eyes at. I mean, just this morning, I was coming to church and I was listening. I was turning to Radio One and listening to the, one of the local Christian channels or the local channel listening to other churches and other pastors preach. Because I, I thought, you know what? I never get to hear somebody else's sermons anymore, so I want to hear somebody else that can be encouraged. The one this morning was a little hard for me to listen to. And I started rolling my eyes when I'm driving the car. And I was like, okay, guys, I know this is what I'm going to teach about this morning, but can I roll my eyes just a few times here with this guy? This guy's really kind of off. But the thing is, we do that. So I'm not just saying, you know, we're going around trying to pick on adulterers or big sexual sinners. But we do that because we love having the attitude of superiority. Wrongly so. Just like I did with the back in small group. I remember talking to a guy years ago whose dad was the president of the Gideons, you know, the Bible hander out of guys, of the, the Gideons in Great Britain. This guy himself was an atheist because he hated the superior attitude he saw in Christians. So whether we actually throw a verbal stone or throw a grill stone, we often have these attitudes of superiority towards people, toward other people, that we think we are better than them. Again, it doesn't mean there's not standards of holiness. There are things that are clearly of God and not of God. But to somehow think we have to have a standard of superiority is something that uh, Jesus seems to always be taking people. And so what I'll say about that is this thing. He said, well, here you've got to drop the stones and you've got to confront your own pride. Maybe this week I'll, we'll ask the Holy Spirit to kind of prompt in you those moments when your, your spirit is going toward, oh, come why does that group of people do that? 
should probably drop the stuff. The story continues, all right? John chapter 8, all right? Jesus, so Jesus is kind of, he's dealt with one potential stoning, all right? He's got the people that, that, that they walked away, and he realizes we've got to think differently about how we respond to sinners or people with bad theology. Now he's going back to teach some more in the, in the temple area. And these are some of the things that he says. So here, imagine this large crowd. Jesus is talking. Uh, there's Pharisees. There's teachers of the law. There's common people like you and me who are just trying to understand what he's saying and figure it out. And I just took some excerpts of things he said during this big kind of group gathering. Because I'm the light of the world. Follow me. You won't have to walk in darkness because you will have a light that will lead to life. Uh, he says, for unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. And the Pharisees, some of the questions they throw back at him is, who do you think you are? Who, who's your father anyway? Who, who gives you the authority to say this kind of stuff? And lift the Son of Man on the cross, and you'll understand that I am he. I did nothing on my own but say what the Father taught me. He's saying these things. He's saying, you know, God, God told me these things. My Father told me these things. And they're like, who are you? And the Father sent me. And, and he's creating... A small stir among people, a big stir actually. And he, when he's talking about, I mean, they had no idea what this when, when you lift him on the cross. I mean, they hadn't seen the Jesus pictures yet with him on the cross. They didn't know what he's talking about. You understand that I am He. I do what my Father taught me. And over this, I've excerpted things, but a lot of he talks about this is what the Father told me to do. I only do what pleases the Father. I only do what pleases my Father. I'm from another world. And they're just like, and he's, I'm going to go where you can't find me. And they're like, is he going to commit suicide? They actually did. Is he going to commit suicide? What's he doing? He, they, couldn't, they couldn't understand. But it does say this in the next verse. Many who heard him say these things believed in him. So there were a lot of people. Jesus is kind of messing up the religious status. Well, and saying things about himself and about how he's sent from God and how he hears from God. And God talks to him and God sent him. And then it says, but some of people heard him, believed him. All right? And maybe some of us would put us, I mean, a large number of us would say, yeah, we're that guy, correct? I believe in him. I believe what he has to say. So at this point in the story, we can kind of relax, and I'm going to kind of sit out here among you. Now, now Jesus then goes on to, this is what he says to the people who believed in him, all right? This is us kind of people. So we can kind of relax, because now he's probably going to say things that are encouraging and comforting and life-giving to us, all right? So let's just listen. We're, so let's assume this is somebody's up here talking to us, and we're just listening to Jesus speak to us who are believers, all right? And what we expect from him, he says this. He says, the people who believe in him, you're truly my disciples, you remain faithful in my teachings. You know the truth, the truth will set, set you free. Okay, so we're okay with that. I feel good. Jesus is encouraging us about freedom. I'm a little bit upset because I think we're free. I thought I was already free. I mean, I'm kind of a church-going Christian, so I'm not sure what he means by that. Oh, we're descendants of Abraham, they said. We've never enslaved anyone. What do you mean you'll be set free? We're getting a little bit irritated because Jesus is now assuming that even though we have our tickets to heaven after we die, there's still more work we have to attend to. We thought that was all we had to do. Jesus replied, tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Those of us who believe slaves to sin. So, a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, 
descendants of Abraham. In other words, yes, I realize that you go to church on a regular basis. Yes, I realize you read your Bible. Yes, I realize you call yourself a Christian. Again, he's talking to people who believe, all right? Yet some of you are trying to kill me. Because there's no room in my hearts and your hearts for my master. Well, at this point, some of us are squirming. I'm like, I'm not trying to kill you. I might come to church every Sunday. I put my check in the treasure box and I, I help out with the Genesis house. I'm not trying to kill you. I'm telling you, this guy, maybe, maybe he really is crazy. I'm telling you what I saw, Jesus said, when I was with my father. But you're following the advice of your father. What's he talking about? Our father's Abraham. I mean, we're Christians. No, he's replied. If you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. And you may remember from a few months ago, what did Abraham do? Well, he listened to God and stressed way beyond comfort. He did whatever God asked him to do. He was willing to let go of anything. Instead, Jesus said, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. Now, let me just stop for a second. What's happening here is sometimes even those of us who are believers, there's a lot, there's more work that Jesus needs to do. And he's he's telling us truth about ourselves that we need to, that we need to let go of, maybe parts of our lives that we're still slaves to. And he's, he's not mincing his words. No, you're imitating your real father. They, they were playing. We aren't illegitimate children. I mean, they knew Jesus had this potentially illegitimate birth. God himself is our true father. All right, go ahead. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I am saying? It's because you can't even hear me. And he's speaking to people who said, who have said they believe. For you're the children of your father, the devil. It's like, whoa, 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 Jesus. Enough of that. I go take my check out of the treasure box. You know, whatever, I know. You do, and you do love the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he's a liar and the father of lies. Right, go on. And at this point, you can imagine the crowd turning each other on head. So, well, Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin, since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the word of God. And you realize what Jesus is getting at a lot of, if you really believe him, you will listen to him. You will hear what he says. But you don't listen because you don't belong to God. The people retorted, they kind of responded kind of quickly and shortly, you Samaritan devil. Didn't we say all along we were possessed by demons? Five minutes ago, they believed. Go on. No, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I do honor my Father, and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth, anyone who obeys my teaching will never die. The people said, Well, now we know you are possessed by a demon. Even Abraham and the prophets like, this is where Jesus starts to push us to a whole other understanding of belief and trust. But you said anybody who obeys my teaching will never die. And you, Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Now, let's be honest. I don't know if any of you have actually said that to Jesus before. I think I've probably 
Jesus is not our spiritual advisor. He's not our mascot. He's not somebody just to give us advice once in a while. He, what he's saying here is, I, I'm, I'm God or I'm the Lord. And whatever I say, if you need to deal with, you need to deal with. And I'm not, I don't know the tone of Jesus. I know it was never harsh. It was never guilt-motivating. It was never condemning. But he's talking, talking pretty firmly. And he talks to us, and he probably talks to you in pretty firm language. Not harsh, not condemning, but firm. Because he's trying to get your attention about something in your life that you are consistently resisting about. And then the next line, kind of the bookend of this chapter is this. And they picked up stones to throw him. Here comes the stones again. Imagine what it likes to be so mad at Jesus. Could you just believe then? Ten minutes ago, that you're foraging around the ground trying to find stones because I don't like what he's saying. He's getting too close to them. And stones, I mean, they weren't, they weren't, they didn't have pebbles. Most likely, these were stones that were from the rubble or the rebuilding efforts of the temple. They were stones. Some of the big guys who used to play Jewish baseball had the big ones. You know, they were like. Just stop and think about that for a second. They were so angry at him, they wanted to stone him. And, and now granted, I, maybe, maybe you or I, I mean, you think about Job and how Job was kind of angry at God. He couldn't figure what God was doing. But there's other times in our life where God's trying to do something in our life and we don't like it. Usually what he's trying to show us is issues of pride in our life, which is what Jesus is trying to show these Jewish people. The people who believe, he was saying, I'm trying to tell you the truth about yourself and about me, and you're not listening. And he's getting, he's, a, he's coming after pride. And, and they pick up stones to throw it. Now, the text says he got away, he slipped away. We don't know what Jesus was like, you know. I wonder what he did. It says he kind of slipped away, so who knows it was not yet his time. Two chapters later, in John chapter 10, same thing. They pick up stones and throw at him. You might remember in the Old Testament, they picked up stones to stone Moses and Aaron because they were so upset that God wasn't doing things on their behalf. They blamed it on Moses. David's men almost stoned him one time because he led them into a situation where they realized, wow, things are really bad now. Let's stone David. I mean, that was kind of the cultural time. That's how you express your anger to somebody when you want to throw stones at them. And if that was true of God's people throughout history, then we are foolish to think that not, that may not be true of us in some situations. I'm not saying we're always angry at God. I mean, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we're awful. But there are times where we have to acknowledge we, we do resist certain promptings of the Holy Spirit. And usually when the prompting has to do with something about our pride. But that's what was happening. They were like, hey, we're children of Abraham. We're Jews. We have the right uniforms on. We have pedigree. We have education. We have the right blood. What do you mean? We're not following you. I go to church. I give my money. I read my Bible. I help set up before the service on Sunday mornings. Pick up stones and throw them. Same thing I'll say before that I said before is what we have to learn how to do is how do you learn how to drop your stone and then face your pride. And uh, 
do you feel when you think your husband or wife need to be listening to God a little bit more when your marriage will work out? Pride is that feeling you have when that person you work with or that person you interact with, if they would just respond to what God is saying to them, this conflict wouldn't be so difficult. All right? It's that feeling you have that you have somehow mastered something that they haven't. It's a feeling of superiority. And when Jesus, that's so deep in our human nature that when Jesus puts a spotlight on that in our hearts, oh, wait a minute. That's off limits, Jesus. Challenge me on everything else, but don't challenge me on how I see me. Because that hurts. I like me. But let me add this to this, because this is the key to this. If it's just facial pride around the stone, then Christianity is a really kind of depressing, debasing religion that's all about guilt. It's not at all about guilt, it's about conviction. Because Jesus says over and over this passage, I'm coming. I want you to be free. I'm telling you the truth because I want you to be free. I'm not telling you the truth to control you, to beat you down, and remind you how much of how, how you've been made from the dust, and that's all you are is dust, and you're kind of a dirtbag kind of human, and I'm the God of the universe, and just remember that. Please remember that kind of thing. But Jesus says, You will know the truth about you, about me. I'll know the truth about me so he can set me free. So sometimes God will. I mean, I, I remember uh, one of my favorite, uh, kind of one of my heroes, a guy named Jim Elliot, this uh, missionary in South America, was killed by the Indians. He and some friends were trying to reach the fifties. But one of the things in his journal that he said that I, I remember thinking is so prof- so profound to me was, "Father, reveal myself." That's a profound and incredibly scary prayer. To say to God, hey, show me what you see. Yes, God will show you you're a son, you're a favorite son, he loves you. But he's also going to say, you know the way that you respond to your husband and wife on this issue? There's kind of a pattern there that is really hurtful to them. And you need to see that. Well, no, I didn't want to see that, Jesus. I mean, show me the good things about me. But again, Jesus' objective is our freedom. Not our comfort. There's a huge difference with that. And I don't think I don't think his objective is every day to come show us one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. But there will be seasons of your life and my life where he is the spotlight seems unusually intense on a certain issue that you really would rather leave uncovered. Or covered, I mean. You don't want it to be uncovered. And uh, this passage Christian doesn't mean those things all go away. 
it means you now have the availability and the accessibility of the voice and the power of the Spirit to help you identify and rid yourself of those things. And when I found some of those things out, I remember one of the first times my wife, I'll close this, one of the first times my wife told me I was selfish. I was like, I mean, she was the first person to have the guts to tell me that. And she still does. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's those kind of things. You're like, I am not. And, and you protest so loudly. And your pro, the primary protest exposes that they hit the mark. That's what's happening here. The volume of their protest means Jesus was hitting the mark. Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to be fully alive, full of the truth, full of freedom, full of joy, full of energy. Of anything God wants to give us in His life, but it has to be about His way, and it's not about our comfort, it's about our freedom. And so, um, what, what we're going to do when we take communion today, just even symbolically, I'll put one of these buckets by each of the people. I want you just to drop your stone before you take your cup of the bread, uh, just out of the realization of if I drop the stone that I've been holding on to, maybe I have some openness to receive. Maybe this week he might show you a way in which you're being condemning and judgmental towards certain people, sinners. Or he might show you something about your own spirit of pride that you need to deal with. Because he wants to set you free. Alright? So have one of these in each. I don't have all the boxes there, so we can grab a couple at the base. And if uh, for some reason you choose not to take communion this morning, which is fine, just find a way to get the, the, the stone in the bucket so we're not handing them stones afterwards here. We're not going to check them. But here's what we do for me in the next is we take, we'll sing a few more songs. Uh, we'll offer the, somebody will be in the aisle. Just come on up while we're singing. We don't skip the roads. We don't go to check your rocket at the door or anything. And you come down the aisle and we'll offer you the bread. Tear off a piece of the bread. We'll offer you the cup. You dip it in the cup. 